0: Monday night edition of the pod. Nice that on Monday night we actually have a ton of games to to talk about. So we got to do Boston and Milwaukee. Always really interesting when those two teams get together. They played a fun game, the second game of the season. And Giannis, I think, with his second 40 point game, this one for naught against the Celtics. Kyrie Irving was outstanding for Boston as well. We're going to talk about a game that went down to the wire in San Antonio between the Pistons and Spurs. Also, our first time doing a Charlotte game this year as they took care of the Magic, but wanted to get into them a little bit more hit a little bit on golden state in new orleans and Danny focused on that one and i watched at least the second half of that and then also a little bit of news to get to let's get rolling with milwaukee and boston it was a 110 100 victory for boston and pretty much the entirety of boston's advantage was gleaned in the first quarter of this game
1: and huh i wonder what milwaukee did a lot in that first first quarter... <laughs>
0: <laughs> now I wasn't watching the first quarter as closely but I was. everyone was going nuts yeah and they really were trapping out on the floor a lot more perhaps in part because of Kyrie Irving uh but they were getting blown by at the point of attack Brent berry had a nice piece at halftime and by the time I had really locked in because I was watching the first half of Charlotte and Orlando they really had gone back to a more conservative pick and roll scheme but then they got killed on that conservative pick and roll scheme in, in the second half as well but what did it look like in that first quarter
1: so it is worth noting as you as you brought up that it's not like there is a a fix against the celtics for most teams just because they move the ball really well they're they've been a smart team full credit to brad stevens for that considering the amount of turnover they've had and the amount of young players they have but when you when you blitz and when you trap you're putting the ball in different people's hands and forcing them to make decisions oftentimes with an unbalanced you know with an unbalance in the floor somewhere just because you're throwing two guys at the ball handler and what Boston was able to do in the early part of that game was convert those into makeable looks by players who can actually make shots this wasn't a circumstance where they were like getting open shots and it was you know Marcus Smart for three or something like that no it was Jason Tatum a lot Tatum was getting these open shots often it was kind of a little bit above the break the ball was bouncing to him there were times where they were helping the helper and just like leaving him open I'm just sitting there going what are you doing like Jason Tatum is the is the most successful three-point shooter I'm not going to say bad because that implies a, a value judgment I'm not willing to make but he has been one of the most prolific three-point shooters in the entire league this year don't leave him open don't leave him open and they were leaving him open sometimes and full credit to Tatum and when they were getting on him a little bit he was attacking and a bunch of different guys had successful nights and so that kind of led into then when they went away from that and the Kyrie Irving just flamethrower started a little bit and it's a reminder that well you know there are some misgivings that we have on Boston as a playoff team they're awesome like their defense has had some really nice moments and they have a lot of capable players so that was really what struck me in this was that I I understood why, why Milwaukee wanted to get the ball out of Kyrie's hands but there's a reason why that doesn't work against Boston
0: yeah Tatum you mentioned him 14 points on four of four three-pointers in that first quarter finish with only 17 they really after changing up they did not get the, the open looks for him later on in, in the game and Jalen Brown actually got into foul trouble guarding Chris Middleton early he got three fouls in the first like five minutes of the game so he was a non-factor most of the way until he got a couple of nice finishes at the rim in the fourth quarter so they went to a more conservative style the other thing that was interesting was that they only played their centers for 29 minutes it was Giannis at center for large portions including nearly the entire fourth quarter except when they took Giannis out and then they actually went with Middleton at center at times uh no traditional bigs at all and it was a really interesting defense though because most of the time with Giannis rather than switching uh he was matched up with Horford they had him play conventional pick and roll defense they had Middleton playing as a big in conventional pick and roll defense and they really were just getting absolutely carved up just on the pick and roll they weren't bringing a lot of help from the weak side and so either the ball handler was getting right to the rim or they were just finding the roll man time and time again and that this was was smart in the game too this wasn't even with Kyrie and then finally late they started switching on Kyrie and he just ate up Middleton with some pretty difficult shots I mean I felt at least they were making him make tough shots uh as Irving continued his clutch dominance this season
1: this was already I believe the third game between these two teams because they played that on the second game of the year right after the Hayward injury on that back-to-back and then they played the game at the Mecca which was fun and so we already have three games of sample of Giannis basically trying to dunk on Aaron Baines as many times as humanly possible sometimes succeeding sometimes failing and I'm going to miss that in my life for a while now because it's just delightful. And Baines takes it like a champ because he tries to block the shot. He tries to play it clean. And sometimes he does a good job. Sometimes he commits a foul. Sometimes he gets dunked on.
0: Yeah, and Giannis had two lefty dunks in this game that were absolutely ridiculous. I mean, If it's not hard enough to deal with them, the fact that he is almost as good dunking left-handed as he is right-handed it makes it even more difficult to deal with. Um, you know, I was encouraged by some things from the Bucks in this game, despite the fact that their first and fourth quarters really look pretty ugly. I thought that, you know, I've said that, hey, you know, we haven't seen that much defensively from Eric Bledsoe in terms of his on ball. And while Kyrie had an excellent game overall, Kyrie had 32 points on 13 and 24 from the field, only one assist for Irving. Although, as you mentioned, he made a lot of the passes that led to the assists in that first quarter. I thought Bledsoe had some really nice possessions getting into Irving. Irving was not comfortable against Bledsoe a lot of the time, but Irving was able to beat guys back door. Boston really used some nice backdoor cuts at times as well when the bucks were helping a little bit um and, and so really when the Bucks were able to actually execute their defense you know their talent really won over is when they just were not executing or being a little bit too aggressive that Boston was able to light them up um I also thought that Kyrie showed pretty good defensive effort in this one um including a play where he knocked the ball away from Giannis in transition Giannis got it back and then Kyrie raced up behind him and knocked it away again some of the best hustle that we've seen defensively from Kyrie uh what did you think of the Bucks offensively in this one. Giannis had the 40 points uh, on extremely efficient game. Uh, but what else did you see from them?
1: I mean, there were times where it looked like Don Maker had a shot that he could convert. He only did play eight minutes and was zero for four. And I'm just sitting there going, oh, if he could just make those shots, it would be so useful. And there were a couple with John Henson. I mean, you talked about how those guys played 29 minutes. They were also zero for 10 from the field and ma- had a couple that they could have made. And I'm sure yeah, that and, was and weighing combined, on Jason
0: Kidd. Combined negative 16 for those guys, too, in a, in a game that they lost by 11.
1: Yeah so so that was a concern Middleton you know I I feel like at this point he's Chris Middleton he takes some shots that are harder than I would love to see him do but he's a good offensive player and you know I i I've, I wonder with the Bucs I've wondered this for a long time whether they can do more to just generate on cuts and things like that just just generate more easy offense by guys that are not Giannis and it's a challenge I mean it, it certainly is for any team but I would love to see what what they can do to unlock because remember this is a team when they play when they play honest that actually has a lot of athleticism out there that has a lot of guys that are credible shooters that you have to actually stay on so it feels like there should be these pockets that are would be open in a in an offense that they just don't seem to have
0: yeah and they don't really seem to do a lot of spread pick and roll type of stuff they don't Really tend to do a lot of plays where they're spacing the floor. We've complained about Middleton and the fact that he doesn't space out and take it enough threes. Uh they have been helped offensively by the fact that Bledsoe has returned at form. He's averaging twenty a game over his last five and shooting forty six percent from three point range on about a little over four attempts per game. So a reasonable number of attempts, and he's looked more comfortable taking the three. Not getting a ton of field goal attempts. He only had nine in this one, nine in his last game against Sacramento, but he dropped eight. 18 points in this one because he went three of six from downtown i would like to see him get even more chances potentially um and again with just more of middleton spacing the floor instead of him being the guy to create the offense malcolm brogdon got a lot of shot attempts but really struggled to finish at the rim he was four out of 13 oh they at least they played him a bunch of minutes but even then because they are a little bit shorthanded right now without Toledovich, the rest of the bench was not good. DeAndre Liggins continues to kill their offense whenever he's out there. Uh, Jason Terry looked like he might have injured his hamstring late in the game, and they had a nice run with him out there in the second quarter, but then he really struggled defensively during that period at the start of the fourth where they were getting cooked at pick and roll defense every time. And it looked like, I'm not sure about this, I had a little exchange with Dylan about this on Twitter. It sounded like the Bucks were saying weak, which means send the guy to his weak hand, usually it means that it could mean something else, uh meaning like it's coming to your left side. But generally it looked like they were trying to direct the guys towards the left side, especially smart, and that they just couldn't keep him on the left side of the floor and then he was getting to his right hand in pick and roll and it's much easier for most guys to make plays going to their strong hand in pick and roll. Or you know you could go under on Marcus Smart too. Like how about that? You know, <laughs> I mean he's he, it's you, allowed. you could give that a shot.
1: I was thinking in this game, just I mean there are a couple different ways that Milwaukee can fill those minutes that Terry's getting and Liggins is getting and Jabari Parker is, is certainly a good way for it once he comes back but they've also been really missing Delvadova I think the end game here should yeah. kid be willing to do this is to just go Brogdon and Delvadova Carlisle style on the second unit and play those guys together because when you're short on wings just play extra point guards there aren't really teams even even the Celtics as good as their wings are that are really going to make you pay by going a little bit small in the second unit and I think it would give them more shot yeah. creation give them more of an identity of course Delvadova has tendonitis, I don't think he has a timetable even yet, so we don't know when that's going to happen, but he would be a big help.
0: Yeah, I guess that's true. I'd forgotten that he was out, and obviously Toledovich had that surgery, which ostensibly is only going to be a four-week absence, but you know what I say, when someone has knee surgery and they have that sort of short of a timetable, I'm always quite skeptical of that. A couple more notes from this one. There was a period where Giannis and Horford were guarding each other, and I thought that was fascinating. Horford scored on him in the post a couple of times. Giannis, not that great of a post defender, against like traditional post guys despite it His length just wasn't really aware that, like, Horford loves to get to that lefty hook, uh, or I'm sorry, left shoulder hook in the post. And then Horford trying to guard Giannis, you know, even backing way off of him, you just, Giannis would just kind of get a head start and then was able to just shoot a layup going right down the lane line. And his touch seems to have returned on those shots lately. He was making a bunch of those kind of four foot, five foot runners that are almost really more like layups to him because (laughs) he has so much length.
1: And the other thing he can do, I saw that a couple times in this game, is he's so long that he can get a layup around a defender, which is just, it seems like physically impossible when you think about how big NBA guys are, but he could just he could just kind of reach past them and throw it past the contest. It's crazy. Anything else you wanted to say uh, on this one here? I thought it was good that the Celtics were as solid as they were when, when Rozier was in the game. I've liked him in the, in the time he's played. He's, he's not, you know, I don't think of him as the best thing going when the Celtics are doing well when he's on the floor, but it seems like he's on the, he's on the floor for a lot of those times and this was one of those games.
0: Yeah and Rozier plus 15 in this one had seven points but I thought his defense was very solid and the other thing I want to say too is that kid, you know played his guys a bunch of minutes again in this one I was happy at least that he extended Tony Snell who had another really efficient game three or four for a three-point range 11 points on eight shots did not play Bledsoe as many minutes I think also maybe that's because of the knee problems that he've had they really don't want to extend him quite as long but with Giannis playing the 39 minutes kid has done this a lot of times in close games where he plays him basically the first 18 minutes of the half in the second half and then just as they're starting to make a comeback then he has to go out or he I mean anybody's gonna be exhausted especially the high intensity and like pushing the ball in the fast break which is what makes Giannis special to play 18 straight minutes really seems like a a ton and I'm guessing. That this plan of playing him for 18 straight minutes is not something that's like, you know, in consult with the Bucks sports science staff. You know, you don't see them recommending that sort of a thing generally.
1: Can be usually the idea is, I think, shorter stints with little breaks in between them okay we'll move on to Charlotte and Orlando but first this
0: from our friends at SeatGeek I use SeatGeek to see these very Milwaukee Bucks as a fan when I was back in the Chicago area for Thanksgiving the local NBA team the Bulls was not playing and barely qualifies as an NBA team these days and my fiance really enjoys watching the Bucks actually back since they beat the Warriors to, to end the 24 game winning streak she's kind of just been enamored of them and all the length and athleticism that they have so we went up to see them. They actually got crushed by the wizards in that game, but we got an amazing deal on SeatGeek fourth row seats, less than a hundred bucks a ticket. I also checked actually on the Bucks official ticket exchange site, and SeatGeek had much better prices. So we got a really good deal, it was awesome and uh, had some excellent seats. The reason SeatGeek is so good is that they save you time and they save you money. First of all, the app aggregates ticket selling sites together. So you don't have to go to a bunch of different sites now. You save time that way, knowing that you're going to have a great price in front of you just by looking in one place. And then they also do a great job of ranking tickets based on value. I looked at the map of the stadium and I wanted to get pretty good seats because to get my fiance to drive 90 miles up to Milwaukee, I had to promise her that we'd have good seats. So I looked in all the 100 sections and there's a little icon, a big green dot showing that the best deal was in this section 212. I think it was, which is weird at the Bradley Center that 212 is actually like the 100 level, but whatever. And so I just clicked on that dot. I saw which ones were ranked as the highest value within a few rows of the court, clicked on that, done in like couple minutes it was really an incredibly quick process despite the fact that I'd never bought tickets at that stadium before I was totally unfamiliar with it SeatGeek made it a total breeze and if you never used SeatGeek before you can get started with them and get a $20 discount off your first SeatGeek purchase via that familiar cap space code easy to remember because we talk about cap space all the time on the program that's the SeatGeek app using the Capspace code let them know that you came from us so really the number one takeaway here is that a guy who we both had actually a uh, third team LNB NBA, Kemba Walker just dominated this game and it really was a perfect matchup for him against this Orlando team that has been struggling mightily defensively of late.
1: It certainly feels like against teams with capable ball handling pick and roll point guards that Nick Vucevic is a big part of Orlando's ceiling defensively. You know that you just there's a certain level that you just can't reach with him out there. He was getting cooked by Kemba with great regularity and this is a game where Kemba was really effective and I I don't like you know in a game especially with a point guard like you can point to a lot of different things but I just thought the offense looked great when he was out there on the floor and that's all true even though he ended up only making one of his eight threes like I thought Kemba was just he was dictating he was getting good looks for his teammates doing a wonderful job and he is the linchpin of this team I mean he was plus 13 in a 10 point win again all of their best moments for me were when he was on the floor other than Frank Kaminsky going completely insane at the end of the First quarter,
0: yeah, Kaminsky. Although eventually, just finished with uh, 14 points, actually on 16 shooting possessions. So he ended up not actually having an efficient game. Although he was plus nine, in large part because uh, these Orlando bench units are just so limited now. Ross is out without John Isaac. They don't have a backup four at all, so they've got to play Spates and Biambo together. So they struggled a lot at the end of the first quarter. Then Orlando actually surged back into the lead right at the. Starters, Charlotte had to go to their own putrid bench units. And then, as soon as the starters came back in, uh, order was restored. And uh, Charlotte was in control for much of the game. Orlando was able to surge back into it again with the benches out there around the end of the third. But uh, they were able to take control late as Orlando really struggled to score. This was actually a defensive, high paced game, neither team exceeding uh, a point per possession in this one 99 and 92 offensive ratings for these teams.
1: It doesn't happen too often where both teams remind you of the importance of wing depth on your bench but that is really what happened partially because of the separation sometimes between the way they did it but I mean Dwayne Bacon was was to me largely a non-factor out there I, I was disappointed in Jeremy Lamb who I've liked at other points in the season and then because of Ross being out and Simmons being being in the starting lineup those you know the Aaron Aflalo minutes were rough and I mean it was just there were some lineups out there I, I, I pointed out in the like the end of the first quarter so Charlotte went on this 10-1 run and not all if this was all against the second unit, but the lineup that Orlando had out there to end that was Augustine, Flalo, Simmons, Spates, Biombo, and it's just hard for a lineup like that to score. Like, Spates loses his advantage when he's going against fours because spacing the fours, not taking the center out of it. You know, Flalo is more comfortable taking bad shots now and can't really create good ones, and Augustine doesn't really have much, like there isn't much for him to do because he can't kick it to anybody. So, I mean, it's just it. I'm not saying Vogel, like, oh, he's make screwing up and making dumb rotations. It's just that at certain points you can't really make chicken salad.
0: Yeah, and they've tried to go with Hozonia as a backup four option. He has failed. He played eight minutes in the first half. It was pretty I mean he just looks so utterly lethargic and checked out. I mean, I mentioned how when they were in Golden State he really just, you know, was not really getting his work in with much alacrity compared to guys even who were supposed to be playing in the game too. I mean, just not working up a sweat, not working hard. I mean, when he gets out there just, you know, he's not going after a loose ball, he's not really reacting to cutters he just looks very lethargic and disinterested so much so that they actually went to wesley awundu in the second half rather than azonia Augustine was good in his return to where he was drafted in charlotte with 13 points uh, on only five shooting possessions, which was a, a pretty ridiculous performance by him. Did you, uh, were
1: you, uh, which feed were you watching in this game? Charlotte. So did you hear the part when the Charlotte announcers were talking about DJ Augustine being an elder statesman on the on the magic and being like, oh God, we're so old. It was great. I loved it so much. <laughs> and, you, and you get that sometimes when a guy who came into the league is now like miles away on a very different team and the announcers are still there who announced his rookie year because that always seems like such a long time and i just cr- i just lost it it was it was i i it was just enjoyable to to see that because i mean augustine it's, it's it's like his eighth or ninth year something like that
0: i think it's more than that i think he 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 played at texas with kevin durant he was in the 2008 draft okay there was a, i remember like his rookie year he actually like really outplayed Derek rose in a game at Charlotte. that's right like, oh, oh derrick rose like got outplayed by uh by augustine um let's get back to the here and now though as much one as uh DJ Augustin Memory Lane is here um one of the things that you were all over in the broadcast was as well is that Charlotte which we lamented a big part of the problem with their defense which was effective in this one was just that they don't force any turnovers and then they went and just got a crap ton of steals in this game in total they had 13 steals and were really able to get out and transition they're not usually a big fast break team but Kemba Walker was able to really run it down their throats off a lot of these turnovers and that's where he had a lot of success and meanwhile both team centers just took turns not getting back on defense to let the other team uh, get fast break points
1: oh oh well one time Vucevic did get back on defense on Dwight Howard and it led to I mean Vuce had Vuce kind of helped that that one Dwight had two ridiculous highlights in this game I actually I think both of them Vuce was related to one was he actually put Vuce on the ground on what it wasn't even really a pick and roll I guess it was I mean not not a not a crossover It was more like a hesitation dribble and he just went down and that was delightful yeah well then,
0: he he tried uh, i'll describe it he i mean this was pretty late in the game um howard caught the ball at the elbow facing and i think there had been a switch or something and vooch was like late switching back to him but for some reason he was like so worried about howard taking an elbow jumper that howard just like completely wrong footed him w- with like a jab step and then just like drove directly to the rim it- and dunked it um
1: and then he also had an and one finger roll in the first quarter which was completely insane and oh so once that i, I enjoyed. Enjoyed on the Steals thing, and I tweeted this out: was Charlotte played ten guys. All ten of their players had at least one steal. I don't recall seeing that before. I'm sure I have, but it, it's it's really unusual to see just everyone on the team get a steal. They had thirteen in total compared to five for the Magic, and so that's of course you know those are all light ball. That means you're getting you're getting a- active chances to score at the rim. And in a game when both teams were actually you know playing solid defense and and missing some shots in in the half court, that enabled Charlotte to get enough baskets. I think that was big in them winning this game.
0: Yeah. Meanwhile, Dwight, they've been posting them up a ton. We talked about. Them the 15 and 60 hours usage rate is like over 25 percent right now and he really was not very effective with that he had five turnovers and was five of 14 from the field he's basically trying to go to his lefty hook every time a couple of times he actually uh went for a spin move on the baseline uh the second time he committed an offensive foul with like uh, the elbow hook move as he spun to the baseline uh, another time he went to a righty hook that wasn't really close he used to actually have like underrated touch on those type of shots but he doesn't have the strength to create there any longer and then anytime he misses a shot it's just an automatic fast break for the other team once they get the rebound he's gonna really saunter back on d um
1: should we talk about nick batum shooting in this game yeah you know i mean he had 11 points
0: you know it wasn't a horrible game for him he got to the foul line quite a bit he had five assists 11 defensive rebounds but he's been shooting extremely poorly from three and we got a little bit of a look at as to why both of his threes in this game he's just been shooting without his feet said at all he hasn't really been able to get to he really loves taking the threes going to his right uh, especially coming off the screens and it hasn't been able to get that shot. And so he, you know, it shouldn't be his elbow really is an issue. That's his left elbow that he's had the, the problems with. But, um, you know, it's not been an impressive start to the year. He did, he uh, failed to improve on his 22% three-point shooting coming in.
1: What struck me in this one, and I've seen this a couple of times in the limited, you know, he's played, I think, nine games since his return, is that he still does have that the good shot kind of foundation, getting to the line, things like that at moments. But it, it's that almost everything else side of that selection ends up just looking bad it you know you're sitting there going don't shoot that and 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 eventually those will look better when i think he gets a little bit more normalized and when he gets his form back a little bit but that's striking to me sometimes they're well contested sometimes his feet aren't set and so charlotte doesn't have even with unless kemba's going off which he has a lot this year they just don't have enough of a buffer to take that many bad shots and they're i mean other than michael carter carter williams and dwight howard there just aren't that many to go around.
0: yeah so all right I think this will be the last Orlando game I watched for a while <laughs> <laughs> I watched them
1: on back-to-back days
0: yeah no I, I mean because they were like the big story early on and then we saw them in person I was like all right we got to really lock in on, on this team and it hasn't been the case with the Pacers but I mean it's been pretty reductive they were hitting a ton of threes and their opponents were missing a t- ton of threes and that is regressed Aaron Gordon uh, although he did have that 40 point game last week really struggled from outside in this one four of 15 two of seven on three pointers and Gordon I mean he's gonna be a guy who is probably gonna be pretty inconsistent because as we mentioned on the 15 and 60 they're not running a ton of plays where they'll run a, a few sets for him every once in a while where he gets a screen to the three-point line uh on a zipper cut coming up the lane to take a three at the top of the key um but generally they're not running a ton of plays for him he's not going one-on-one he's not a guy you can just kind of throw the ball to he's still gonna have a lot of his created by others and so depending on how the defense is playing him he may not get a, as many attempts but 15 certainly uh he did lead the team in shots this time but you know you're still not going to him as like a an every down back i guess you can say uh that's a term i've been using a little bit lately but yeah i mean this team crazy as it is to think about they desperately need jonathan isaac back i think that he actually you know getting i mean they're playing when you look at hazonia it aflalo and spates at the four i mean that's a lot of guys who just and spates played exclusively at the four today it's just a lot of guys who are not going to be effective for you at, at all and so i think if isaac can get back and maybe start playing 25 minutes a game for this team that you know i mean he is a rookie maybe that's asking too much of him but he can't be worse than the guys that he'd be replacing at this point
1: also if Hazonia continues to just not look like he has much pop i think they should consider since they you know they still do have the ability to sign him as long as it's not for more than his, than the declined option which congratulations he's not going to get more than that anyway they should do i've said this a million times that if you decline a player's option you should be ready to cut them and they should just try to get a wing in the deal in the g league that plays with some fire that can can do something because their other options aren't doing it. And so I think the, be- the best thing is just to try somebody else if they can find it. You, you can't do 10-day contracts yet, so it might be a little premature, but they should kind of be getting ready for that.
0: Yeah, or you'd think they could give a, a-, a window more time, although certainly he has provided no indications in summer league that he is remotely ready uh, yet.
1: So one quick thing on that. So we- we've talked a little bit about the East playoff picture. We just did the 15 and 60. I'm s- pretty much at the point right now where absent new circumstances, which of course can't happen i'm not expecting the magic to make the playoffs is that where you are that they're kind of they're below that like fringe category
0: oh yeah i mean i, I think they're what 8 and 14 now they're 10 and Um, 15 okay yeah I guess that's right they won yesterday um yeah especially with the injury issues with Ross being out now I mean if they could get back to being totally healthy you know it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility to me that they would play 500 ball from here on out but already five games below 500 and still being injured as well you know it's very difficult to imagine that they can get back in the mix here All right, let's do uh, a little bit here on Golden State and New Orleans. Um, I didn't see as much of this game. I saw maybe about the last 18 minutes or so and Golden State setting an NBA record with their second 20-point halftime comeback and in one season and they did it. They already did it to Philly on their last road trip and so, you know, they've done it now with like 50 games left in the season. Pretty impressive. Definitely showing the switch-flipping nature of this team. But how did they get down by so much in that first half? Because Cousins got his third foul. They were pretty close to being tied, I think, after the bench had a nice performance. They bring back in Durant and Curry, and then they get outscored by twenty in like the last six minutes of the half.
1: Yeah, it was five thirty left and Boogie fouls out. That's right when the Warriors typically go to Well, they would go to Draymond at center in a big game, but in that one they went to Kavan Looney at center. And it was so it was Looney versus Oshik. And what happened at that moment was the Warriors Warriors wanted to do that all that switchy stuff and so what New Orleans went to was they're like oh okay you're gonna do that well let's see what Kevon Looney can do on Drew Holiday and Drew Holiday just went off that was a big part of what happened second time this season that Drew Holiday has completely gone off on the Warriors he was hitting everything had a couple of threes had a couple of drives to the basket and so they went on this big run yeah it was 44 43 when Cousins went out at 5 30 left and then I think it was 60 it was like 69 49 or something like that when they went to the halftime break. And so you're kind of sitting there going, because this wasn't, you know, the, the second unit blowing it or something like that. It was mostly the Warriors' best players. There was some mixing going on. And then, and also, there was a game where it was very separated from that. But early on, the Warriors got a little bit on tilt because they weren't happy with the officiating. Draymond Green got a tech yelling at Derek Stafford. Then Durant got a tech. And of course, Demarcus Cousins couldn't be miss out on that. So he got a tech himself. And then you're kind of thinking about that in the back of your mind. And then, that all came to play not in the immediate because the Warriors went on a big run in the third quarter as has been their want. And then so it was close in the fourth quarter. And then at the very end of the game, once the Warriors had kind of taken control, Durant and Cousins get into another argument and they both get tossed with about a minute to go. The second time that's happened to Durant in three games. Third game in a row where the Warriors have had a player ejected, which is... KD was awful in this game, by the oh, way. Oh, well, I he, he had, I he had
0: He had 19... I, I thought he really was bad in... Uh, uh, the start of the fourth quarter when he came back in like really hijacking the offense he was uh that 19 he, points he, yeah yeah
1: he, he was bad then and the other time he was bad was in the first quarter because in the first quarter they're you know they're starting out these with these small lineups with drew and rondo and each one more and so you're sitting there going well who the hell's gonna guard kevin durant and you know sometimes they ended up with cunningham on him or certain things but he just wasn't pushing the advantages he had a nice stretch in the third when he was just making a lot of shots so that's why i'm a little bit because that was one of the key runs of the game But then that all kind of, you know, the Warriors had the game settled, but it wasn't all the way over. And then what ended up will probably be the big story from this game as we move forward is that Curry was going out to I think it was going out to try to get to try to deflect a pass. I don't think it was contesting a shot on each one more and he sprained his ankle. It looked pretty bad, but I've I've learned over the last little bit that I'm not as great at judging bad ankle sprains as I thought I was. So we don't know exactly Uh, Although the
0: fact that he was in a walking boot after the game. Game and on crutches would indicate that it, it's going to be pretty severe and he, he basically acknowledged that he doesn't expect to play in the next couple of games i, I think or yeah. at least the next game
1: yeah so the the x-rays were negative mri is going to be on tuesday my tentative guess is that so the warriors only play two games this week and they only play two games next week i'm guessing he will miss either three or four of those games and that's you know bare minimum and you know they'll probably lose a couple of those without him but if they can be judicious and do that and i know uh, Marcus Thompson, who of course wrote the book on Steph Curry, said that Steph really wants to play against Charlotte. It's his hometown game, and kerr's resolve is steeled on that because of the mistake that he admitted he made by letting Kevin Durant play against OKC when his ankle wasn't right, and also when a guy walks out of a game in a walking boot, he's not going to play a couple days later. So I'd expect him to be out. Uh, that actually, in some ways, that makes it a more interesting Twitter NBA show. We don't get the Curry Kemba dynamic, but we get to see a different kind of Warriors team on Wednesday.
0: Yeah, I. I'm- looking forward to that and and getting back to KD we got a little distracted there but he had 19 points on eight out of 21 from the field was just was taking some really bad shots and then he also had seven turnovers he's had some really bad turnover problems lately as well but I I thought to give up 69 points in the first half to this Pelicans team uh, but then they got it together defensively in the second half and particularly in the fourth quarter the Pelicans really could not get anything done the Warriors had their hands all over the place they're getting in the passing Lanes for steals, and they, this was noted on the Warriors' broadcast too. Demarcus Cousins, because they made their big run without him, and then the, the the Warriors made the big run when he was in. In the third quarter, he finished negative thirty two in thirty two minutes. Uh, pretty remarkable for the guy who's like supposed to be. Uh, oh, you, you need star. to say
1: the other side of that coin. Omer Asik, t- plus twenty one in twelve minutes.
0: I mean, did he like actually do anything or no?
1: I mean, he inspired Kerr to keep Kevon Looney on the floor, so I guess in that way he did. <laughs> <sighs>
0: yeah all right that's probably enough on that game unless you had anything else i mean i guess we should we should talk about a couple of things rondo had 10 assists and zero turnovers in the first half and then one assist in the second half uh and then etuan moore i think had a career high 27 points he was 11 of 18 from the field five of six on three pointers and, and you mentioned holiday going crazy with his 34 points second time that he's had some incandescent stretches against the warriors in uh the last couple of weeks here
1: and both of rondo's made threes came in rapid succession and that was in the second quarter when new orleans was pushing out the lead against the warriors and their crowd went absolutely insane as, as you would expect when rondo hits two threes i think they were in the same minute it was definitely close but the problem with that just like so many other guys that are bad shooters is when they make a couple they feel a little bit more confident but it did lead to this funny moment where in the third quarter durant was on rondo and they would basically been letting him shoot the whole game and rondo's kind of sitting there like i'm gonna shoot it i'm gonna shoot it and so So Durant took a step out towards him, and then Rondo just drove right by him. It's like, come on, execute the scouting report, because even though a guy made two shots, he's still Rajon Rondo.
0: Also, I want to give a quick word to how good David West has been this year. He is nine nine points on four of five, uh, plus 10 in only 13 minutes. I mean, he's basically only allowed to play 13 minutes a game, Um, but... He has just been outstanding with uh, those bench units, and th- that bench unit has been a lot better, much to the chagrin of uh, noted scribe Danny Larue.
1: You mean the fact that I've been working on a piece about what's wrong with the Warriors bench unit for two weeks, and then it ha- I haven't finished it yet because I was waiting for the I was waiting for these back to back games, and then now I can't write it anymore. Yeah, I'm not super pleased about that. But the other well, thing now with- you can
0: write about why they were bad and how they they're getting better now. Yeah, right? it's, it a could be- it's a could different be a it's redemption a different story.
1: It, it's a different piece, uh, and also David West has based basically doubled his not only his career high block rate but i mean his career high block rate was last year and before that he never had one over three and now he's at 7.7 after today's game he has 26 blocks in 23 games and for a guy who only plays 13 a game that's really impressive
0: yeah And a lot of those, too, are like strips, too, where you know it's kind of debatable whether it counts as a steal or a block. All right, let's uh move on to a really fun game in San Antonio between the Pistons and Spurs, but first, this from Zip Recruiter. Zip Recruiter is a company that I wish I had known about when I was hiring. Back in the day, I was involved in our hiring at the law firm that I worked at, and it really was difficult. I didn't know where to post jobs. Do I do it in like the San Francisco Lawyer magazine? Do I do it on Craigslist? We actually found some pretty qualified candidates on Craigslist of all places. But I wish I had known then that hiring could be easier, more streamlined, and less time-consuming. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click. And then ZipRecruiter will put its smart matching technology to work. It actively notifies qualified candidates about your job within minutes of posting so you receive the best possible matches. Now you're not waiting on them to find you, ZipRecruiter will tell them about you. That is why 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. You don't have to juggle emails or calls to your office or passwords to all these sites. You can screen, rate, and manage candidates all in one place with ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. So, find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes and industries to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. My listeners, can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free at that URL, ZipRecruiter.com Capspace. That's ZipRecruiter.com Capspace. Easy to remember because we talk about Capspace all the time in the program. That's a URL for this one, ZipRecruiter.com Capspace. Let them know that you came from us. So Stan Van Gundy had an interesting approach in this game. His starting lineup had been effective, but instead he actually benched Stanley Johnson went with Tobias Harris at the three and he started Anthony Tolliver and Tolliver was awesome guarding LaMarcus Aldridge in the post holding him to five of 17 shooting
1: yeah it's it's one of those elements and I I think it's also a a lot more possible when San Antonio doesn't have Kawhi Leonard because they 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 started Rudy Gay in this one because now Kyle Anderson's out with a spring MCL I'm assuming we'll talk about that a little bit later but full credit to Tolliver I mean he's been in the league for a long time I I would love to go back and look to see if he's defended L may well in the past but he did a wonderful job.
0: Nonetheless though, the Spurs were able to persevere and win at 96 at 93 as Greg Popovich countered going away from Aldridge in the post, playing him at center and they actually went to a spread pick and roll lineup that was absolutely unguardable. First they were playing Bertans at the 4, he he hit a couple of threes and, and really was causing problems with his spacing. Then they closed it out with Gay at the 4, they put Gasol on the bench, had Aldridge at Center. And Monty Ginobili was exhumed as well with more of that spread pick and roll play, giving them some kind of an impetus going to the basket because they didn't close with Parker and they wanted to have more shooting on the floor, so they didn't go with Murray. So they had Patty Mills, Ginobili, Gay, and Danny Green out there with Aldridge, and it really proved difficult for the Pistons to stop. They're getting a ton of open threes. Spurs usually don't shoot that many threes, but actually got up 31 attempts. It seemed like the Pistons were over helping at times, but it was difficult with the floor spread, and this is a great. Passing team that's always going to execute it really well. So they put the Pistons into a lot of difficulty, especially with their bench units when they were spreading the floor with Bertans. And the Pistons led it. it, was really quite the yo yo. The Pistons led it by nine throughout most of the third. Spurs came back and took the lead 79 73. And then the Pistons had an 11 0 run in four possessions right after their starters returned, with Reggie Jackson hitting some free throws. Tobias Harris hit a three. Bradley had hit his one field goal of the game for an and one Stanley Johnson had a three and so the Pistons looked like they were back in control and then the Spurs were able to claw back at that point and start shutting down the Pistons a little bit and in the end they outscored Detroit 27 to 20 to come away with that 96-93 victory in the fourth quarter
1: you watched this game more closely than I did though I cracked up I think it was in the you know in that fourth quarter I, I watched the last five minutes because, like of course the Spurs would be competitive in this game and then and then have a good chance of winning it but Tony Parker wasn't on the floor for a lot of the best things that the Spurs did but how do you think he looked physically
0: you know I didn't see a ton of juice from him in the second half and and he really only played one stint um you know I think he's on a minute's limit right now as well coming back from that torn quad tendon but it had an okay game statistically 3 out of 5 you know i didn't see it's always tough especially when a guy is old coming back from injury you're like okay you know how does he look compared to how he looked before he was already aging anyway you know i i think it's possible to me that he could be a similar player to how he was last year I and mean, you remember he had that great series against memphis much of it predicated on unsustainable two point jump shooting a lot of it contested too so you know i don't expect him to play the way he was playing before he went down for the season last year he does provide like a little bit more in terms of transition and penetration, but you know I'm not sure. I mean, they're starting him right now. I'm not sure that against the best teams he's even going to merit 20 minutes a game. You know, we'll have to watch that pretty closely. But you know, I think that's more about even just the player that he was aging into before the injury, not even so much that he's coming back from this injury. But I, I have to see more than just this one game and really kind of look at where he is statistically after you know 15 or 20 games, um especially because he was so much older. You know it's it, he wasn't showing a ton athletically even before then so it's tough to tell at this point
1: something that could haunt the pistons from this game is that they missed nine free throws and six of those misses came from drummond who was three of six and reggie jackson who was one of four and you know a game that's a three-point game and of course it was nip and tuck the whole end of it you, you feel like those sorts of things could be there you know eight of 27 from three that's the sort of thing that can just happen in a game just depending on who gets the shots and avery bradley missing missing yeah. some looks uh, although i will say mix.
0: they weren't they weren't getting Great looks. uh, That standard against the Spurs. Yeah.
1: But, but you know you, you have to get those against San antonio especially because you know their bench is gonna probably put something on yours you have to get those easy points you have to convert the looks that you get and maximize things like offensive rebounds and it, 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 the parts that I saw in this there was that and then I, I I tweeted about it for a second but that basically it was I don't even know if it was really a touch pass it was more like a batting the ball pass that patty Mills had on one of the last possessions was just spectacular
0: yeah and that that play uh, among others I mean there were three or four four possessions in the second half where detroit got a stop either got a deflection or forced a really bad miss and there was just an unlucky carom that resulted in either like a dunk or, or a three for the spurs immediately um where you know those just kind of like good process bad results uh, for the Pistons uh, on those plays and, and you mentioned the Spurs bench they were a combined nine out of 19 just off the bench from three-point range so you see the way they were playing Bertons had a nice game against OKC when they brought the B squad last night they have five games in seven nights so Pop arrested everyone last night in OKC and they actually you know were quite competitive in that game and so I guess they felt like Bertons deserved a little bit more time and he got it uh, at the expense of DeJounte Murray and brandon paul who didn't play as much as they had previously um few other notes here danny green was probably player of the fourth quarter and the growth that Green has shown. I mean, it, another example, maybe, of how much confidence can mean for a player where Danny Green, you know, grew up in the NBA playing with all these great ball handlers. He was asked to just shoot the ball every once in a while when he'd drive to the rim. He would just, was known for missing layups, uh, missing fast break layups. Uh, the joke always was that when Danny Green is on a fast break, he, he plays offense like he's going against himself on defense because he's such a great fast break defender. Um, but Green, I mean, Some of the plays he had in this one, he late clock came off the pick and roll, driving to the baseline, pulled up for a fadeaway, going to his right, nothing but net. Uh, Another play, he split a pick and roll and started a a drive and kick sequence that led to a a wide open three. Just not the kind of plays you expect to see from him. You know, going to be this 31 as a free agent this offseason if he decides to opt out. And really, remarkable growth offensively from him and then the defense that he had in the fourth quarter was also just completely ridiculous
1: he blocked drummond right remember remembering that that there is
0: that one yeah so drummond was in the post he was being fronted by you know like patty mills or something they threw it to him drummond turns to just go up for a layup pretty weak by the way Uh, drummond is not really you know you'd like to see him go up for the dunk a a lot more than he does but he just went up for a layup and Danny green great help defender was right there for the block and then the play that was even more ridiculous this was just a great sequence so overall so bear with me while I explain it I noted in the Philly game that I really liked what Tobias Harris was doing as a help defender in the pick and roll so one time down he breaks up an alley-oop to LaMarcus Aldridge and it was a really difficult play because he started off in the strong side corner there was a pick and roll that started on the strong side and then the guy got middle and so in those situations the strong side can become the weak side and you're not supposed to leave the strong side corner All of a sudden now it's because the ball got middle you have help responsibilities so that's a very difficult situation when you let the ball get middle part of the reason why teams don't want to do that you can prescribe the help principles more easily so Harris instantly reacts to that comes over and breaks up an alley-oop to LaMarcus Aldridge and that was impressive too because he's leaving Danny Green a great shooter who was in the corner. So the next time down, similar play, Tobias Harris comes over again, and Green, instead of just waiting in the weak side corner, cuts right in behind Harris, gets a layup, and then just misses the layup. He was wide open. And Ish Smith, who is really fast, gets the rebound and pushes the ball down in transition and does a Euro step. He's going in for a layup, has a pretty nice opening. And Danny Green, the guy who missed the layup, he must have been, you know, 15 feet behind Ish Smith at the start of the play, gets all the way back, and then blocks Ish Smith's layup, like at the apex, like up by the score of the backboard, just an unbelievable play by him. And so, you know, when we talk about him for all defense, he's pretty solid on ball. He can switch, but that help defense, I think, is really what sets him apart from a guy like his counterpart in this game, Avery Bradley.
1: He also doesn't commit as many fouls on back screens as Avery Bradley does, but that's not (laughs) defense. Yeah.
0: Yeah, this is and Bradley really like these last couple of games. I've watched him. I've just been disappointed a little bit by you know and he's a free agent to be as well of course by how selfishly he's kind of seemed to play and this is a small thing but the pistons will run a play where they've got a guy the uh with the ball near the top of the key and Bradley will start in the corner and he'll set a a flare screen for a guy who just is kind of going to the corner himself and then maybe that guy can go back door but this is two games in a row where Bradley just runs into the guy guarding when he's supposed to set the back screen he just doesn't stop because he knows that the back screen is just kind of like a dummy play and that the play's for him and he can run and get it and take the shot and he's so eager to go and shoot because he's so keyed up to shoot that he just like doesn't screen the guy and he just like ran over the guy's man for an offensive foul he committed the exact same offensive foul because he was just like so eager to go get the ball and shoot instead of just like actually running the play and setting the back screen first, which, ironically enough, of course, will get you open more often if you set a good back screen than if you just try to run to the ball. And it was it was very frustrating to see. And again, you know, his shot selection it was not great. A lot of ugly sh- shots in this one on the way to uh, his one of nine from the field.
1: Anything else from this game, or do you want to do a little bit of news before we head out? Yeah, a couple more small
0: notes. Eric Moreland, who's playing backup center right now for the. Pist- he took a couple of charges both of which were legitimate now he was out there and really was struggling to deal with that spread pick and roll attack late in the third and early in the fourth but he actually the Pistons broadcast had this stat which I thought was a good one he's averaging uh, 0.93 charges per 36 minutes which is second in the NBA Uh, Stanley Johnson had a nice game one of his better offensive games got to the foul line for seven attempts had 14 points but did show some bad decision making when he would catch the ball in the corner Uh, one time he went for for a pull-up long two on the baseline just not his shot. Another time he tried to do a jump stop in the lane and he just has no explosion off of two feet at all. He just got thrown back in his face by Pau Gasol and it wasn't really quite the game for him um just cuz they don't have like a ton of iso wing threats so he's you know he was great against Ben Simmons but it, defensively that's why you know they started with Tolliver instead of the, uh Johnson did close the game and then the end of the game was, was interesting too pistons are down three after manu just turns it over against stanley johnson jackson gets into transition andre drummond tips it in they're down one there's a five second differential rudy gay gets it in iso just bricks a three from the top of the key no play run at all and the pistons got a shot clock violation it just hits the shot just hits the backboard they're ready to roll down one and oh no hold on a second they called a loose ball foul on tobias harris trying to box out lamarcus aldridge and technically the illegal contact occurred before the shot clock violation but the Pistons really got screwed on that one like Aldridge wasn't in position to get the rebound he could not have possibly gotten the rebound because it didn't hit the rim it was a shot clock violation and so they really got hurt there so they're down three they ran a nice play for Tobias Harris and the Spurs did a great job of switching everything and it it was funny actually I was like oh Rudy Gay did a great job of like not getting confused well the reason he didn't get confused is because Danny Green who was standing next to him as a bunch of Pistons were screening for each other just shoved gay out there to go and guard tobias harris and then gay actually forced harris i don't know whether he blocked it or not but he forced harris into a miss that like wasn't even close and and that was the game and and then the last thing i wanted to note too is we're seeing a lot now due to the new timeout rules number one you only can take two timeouts per team for under three minutes right so you see a lot of teams stamp and gunny did this call a timeout like right at the three minute mark and then at that point teams want to kind of hoard their timeouts until the end both of them you know usually until the last 30 seconds and so you're seeing teams now at maximum intensity at the end of a close game unless there are free throws go for like two minutes two and a half minutes sometimes at the end of a game and look really tired and so you'll see ironically you'll see more fast breaks when teams are tired because the other team is just not getting back or they'll just make a dumb turnover and like some guys will have energy and some won't and so you you get a lot more odd man rushes out of that and so we've seen more fast break play more ragged play a lot of times in the last two two and a half minutes of games before the coaches want to start taking timeouts again
1: and this could and should lead to eventually changes in the the sub mechanics in the fourth quarter i i could i could anticipate a little bit of change it's just because you want your guys to be more fresh because the differences matter a little bit more
0: yeah, it's tough, though, because, you know, there aren't really great chances to sub at that point, And, True. you know, you want to have your best guys out there in the last three minutes of the game. I mean, maybe you could say, all right, we're, you know, we're not going to play guys quite as much earlier, but you've got to play for more... two straight minutes, you know, no matter how tired you are, how much you played the rest of the game, I and mean, you're going to be pretty tired playing two straight minutes of really intense playoff basketball.
1: Right. What I'm thinking about more is the idea of bringing guys back, like the guys who sit at the beginning of the fourth, bringing them back instead of it like 8, 7 or 6 bringing, making that more 7, 6 or 5 just something small like that where they get yeah. a little bit more rest and even maybe getting a little bit more proactive about picking out like a, a minute or 45 seconds to give a little bit of like Tyloo has done this really well with LeBron at moments just to get that little bit more and I think we'll see some of that with time but then other elements of it are just going to be coach's coach, coach and, and then we won't see it as much but I want to watch especially some of the more proactive ones and just see, see when these adjustments start happening because you do really teams lose it a little bit at the you know kind of in those long gaps and yeah like the Warriors they in this game Kerr called his last time out other than the very very final one so the second last one with like 530 to go and you're sitting there going well this could end up badly but it ended up being okay
0: yeah and I think the type of quick rest that you're talking about I mean the NBA is just going to need a culture change there because players will complain about just not being in enough of a rhythm and you know I don't think there's actually really any data to support that other than just that like players You know, kind of believe that that's true, that I don't, but you know, oh, you take me out for a minute, you're going to break my rhythm or whatever, but we'll see. I think we're a long way away from most teams doing that all right let's uh let's hit some news here what we got
1: fortunately anthony davis it was less serious news than we had feared uh he he doesn't have as severely injured groin he has a left adductor strain and so he missed the game today against the warriors but he's day to day so we could see him back sooner rather than later which is very very good rodney hood missed his fourth consecutive game with an ankle issue but fortunately alec burks basically stole all his powers and had his third straight game of 24 more points which is a part of this just absolutely insane jazz run which it didn't culminate because we don't know when the heck it's going to end but they had they gave washington the second worst loss in franchise history they won I yeah oh. and rudy gobert by the way
0: is back like that yeah. just came out of nowhere uh that he could come back and practice the, the jazz very spursian uh not surprising given dennis lindsey's background about their injuries and so uh, gobert uh, you know was supposed to be out four to six weeks i think this is like three weeks or something with that uh that knee contusion um Um, And and so he and favors actually started in this game. I didn't watch it, but uh, they held the wizards to 69 points and, uh, you know scored pretty damn well uh, they're up by like 27 early in the second quarter so you know it must have wor- worked out okay with those two guys playing together I-, I would thought that they probably would go away from that but favors h- has been so good I think they really don't want to lose favors and they're just going to try and get him a lot more time at center and maybe we just won't see as much of, of Epe Udo
1: well the offense was a part of it but also Washington scored 15 points in each of the first two quarters and so yeah. even if he like that it's I mean their ceiling is just nasty because of all their defensive talent and something else that Utah has which a couple other teams do this year is that they have a lot of depth so their garbage time lineups are good so i think that also can exacerbate some of these wins and will lead to them to even more impressive ones because when you're playing you know any basically any guys that are on their 15 man roster they're gonna they're gonna be able to put up some points and, and play some defense
0: i mean pretty crazy though that i mean number one that utah could struggle so badly to score you know the first 10 games of the year and then gobert goes out and you think their season is done and they come back and all of a sudden become this offensive juggernaut. I mean, their offense is like better now than it was
1: when they had Gordon Hayward. They could be top 10 after their next game. They're 11th right now and they're percentage points away.
0: We talked about Kyle Anderson. Sounds like a grade one MCL sprain for him. Expected to miss two to three weeks. So if it were grade two, we'd be talking about six to eight weeks there. Um, With the Clippers, Danilo Gallinari looking likely to return soon, possibly as soon even as Wednesday against Minnesota. He's practicing with the Clippers G League team or, or did so. So, uh, on monday and hopefully if he feels good that'll enable him to return and then uh Milos Teodosic will also practice with the G League team and Amic reporting that his return is likely sometime next week the week of December 11th Uh, they've got three games uh, next week uh and then also of note for the Clippers DeAndre Jordan has hired an agent Jeff Schwartz that means that he will immediately be traded to the Bucs
1: congratulations Milwaukee but yeah I mean this (laughs) is important. uh, by the way
0: that that joke just for people who don't know uh, Jeff Schwartz has long been uh, joked about and as having uh, a surprising degree of control in Milwaukee. Jason Kidd, his client, he got Thon Maker drafted there. He got Rashad Vaughn drafted there. That was like the big one that really like set off the alarm bells. I'm sure there's a few other things as well that I'm forgetting about. Uh, oh oh I'm sure Milwaukee. Bucks fans
1: will mention it to us on Twitter because they're very enthusiastic and I, and I but the important part about Deandre is not the potential of him or an inevitability of him becoming a buck it is that the uncertainty around how to deal with his contract situation was a big factor not only for the clippers but for potential trades because seeing him as a rental versus seeing him as this being the first year of a beautiful partnership is very important and it affects how what your willingness to trade for him what assets you're willing to give up and when a player doesn't have an agent, you don't really have anybody to talk with about that, and so the Clippers yeah, can have. You don't exten- have
0: anybody to illegally talk to about that, <laughs> as Bobby Marks noted on Twitter, which is a great point. There aren't there aren't really any back channels to go to that are reliable there,
1: right? And and so we'll see if that affects anything. I mean, I still think many are underappreciating the possibility that he could just straight up sign an extension with the Clippers. And- yeah, well,
0: well, actually, Woj's piece on this noted that they had offered him an extension over the summer presumably that extension would have been for the most that they could pay him and and he said no but maybe you know now with Schwartz in the fold they might do that but I think you know noting here with Teodosic coming back and with Gallo coming back you know they've already got Beverly out for the year and Griffin is going to miss time of course but let's see how they start playing now with those two guys back do they go on a little mini run and so the Clippers perpetually seizing on even the slightest source of optimism to avoid having to do the inevitable rebuild, you know, do they seize on that and therefore that accelerates the extension talks or do they instead move in the direction of a trade, which of course is what I believe they should do?
1: In Cleveland news, Derek Rose is getting closer to rejoining the team and is rehabbing his ankle. And Tristan yeah, he,
0: Thompson. He, it was noted that he will start rehab on his ankle. So he really is, I mean, maybe he's been doing it on his own. Doesn't sound like it though. He's just been away from the team, like hanging out. So it's not like uh, maybe his ankle is just healed on. On its own, but it doesn't sound like he's be getting like you know twenty four seven treatment while he's been away from the team. But you know they said they're going to accept him back. It's going to take a little while to build up the trust. And uh, what else we got on them?
1: Tristan Thompson uh, is hoping to return next week, which would be exciting. I mean, they their offensive lineups have been so much fun since he's been out. I mean, they've been doing some really cool stuff with Wade and you know a lot of shooters around them. And LeBron, of course, is having a wonderful shooting year, so that will change their dynamics. But Tristan is a part of the best form of the Cavs, so it'll be always be good to see him back.
0: Sean Livingston missed tonight's game against New Orleans due to a suspension for making contact with an official, but Courtney Kirkland is suspended for a week for making contact with Livingston.
1: It was a bizarre circumstance, and there was a lot of arguing, as there often is on Twitter, about it. And I thought what was more striking to me about it, beyond the fact that Livingston just doesn't have that rep, is that it was one of the first times I can remember a ref starting out fairly close to a player, them having an argument, and the ref moving closer and that just doesn't really happen very often and i'm guessing that was a part of the message they wanted to send to, to courtney kirkland was hey this is not how we dissipate disputes but you know i i think that was a reasonable a reasonable effect for both of them involved and i'm i'm assuming the nba refs union is not going to be super thrilled about it but you know from my layman's person stance without really hearing what was said and really seeing more of the the movement of it i'm cool with it
0: in seattle the city council moving towards the plan of renovating key arena uh, approving seven to one a memorandum of understanding with a, a group known as the oakview group uh under uh former nba executive tim Lewicki, who i believe was once involved in toronto uh they intend to privately renovate key arena to expand it uh there's always talk about how the key arena footprint was too small and, and we'll see you know hopefully this goes a little bit better than the last key arena renovation which uh in 12 years was deemed to be obsolete um but they're hoping to reopen in time for the 2021 season they're focusing more on the nhl but you know, obviously this uh, could be an option for the NBA as well. Uh, but this is another blow for the Chris Hansen group, which uh, always a bridesmaid, never a bride. It seems like uh, with Mr. Hansen, they wanted to build an arena near Safeco and CenturyLink Fields. And there's this whole controversy where the city council wouldn't let them eliminate this street that would have to be blocked off so they could build the arena. And like people were like taking video of the street to see how many cars drove down and up, but it looks like, that plan uh, is now on the back burner and this key arena renovation is more likely to occur and then in Washington John Wall saying you know he's not really sure of his timetable to come back yet remember it was November 25th that he was announced he would have that PRP injection and also indications seem to be that Kawhi Leonard will be returning he actually met with the media on Monday and hinted that he is close to making his return He said that it soon he hopes he will play and that he's feeling pretty healthy right now uh he's been playing five on five so maybe even later this week be when we'll see the spurs team at full strength for the first time
1: yeah it was certainly different to see like a two and a half minute video of Kawhi leonard talking in the media he's he's a wonderful player but that's just not a always a part of his repertoire but it was was exciting and i I mean we both love watching him so much so it'll be great to whenever it happens to see the spurs at close to their most spursy before we move on i'll also uh because i think we're going to be right around the plug time uh, i did a real jam radio with sam vicini of the athletic on draft prospects which was fun so we went through that and maybe at some point i'll figure out how to write the previously mentioned warriors bench unit piece or maybe something else will happen and i'll have to throw it in the garbage can for a third time but that'll go on and then i have a few pieces in the work for the cba encyclopedia at real jam
0: who is vicini's number one right now
1: he still has Doncic number one hmm. and we talked about porter's injury and the long-term effects of all that kind of stuff too and that ba- and um yeah it's a, it's it's an interesting group for. With, with Bagley, who I think you're going to have some interesting opinions on when you watch more of it.
0: Yes, I'll look forward to doing that in May. <laughs> <laughs> because I will not be watching any live college basketball this season. That'll do it. Don't forget about our sponsor, Zip ZipRecruiter. slash Catfays. You can post jobs there for free. Uh, support the program that way. An iTunes review, always appreciated as well. We are inching towards a, a thousand. I haven't checked to see how many we have in the last week or so, but we should be getting pretty close, especially with all these uh, entreaties that I'm making to our, our wonderful listeners about that. And uh, merchandise as well, a great way to support the program. We got coffee mugs, dunked on hats, uh, T-shirts with famous slogans from the show in various colors. There's a a beautiful purple shirt with 2019 unprotected pick. I mean, you know, not that that refers to anything in particular, of course. And that'll do it. Talk to you all tomorrow. Till then.